Welcome to the Gospel Clarity Podcast, where we explore how the story of Jesus changes everything. In order for the gospel to be central, it must be functional. I'm your host, Mark Smith. And my name is Andrew Arthur. Thanks for joining us. We're glad you're here. Thanks for joining us in the Gospel Clarity Podcast. I'm Mark, and I have Andrew Arthur here with me. Andrew, can you say hi? Hey, everyone. How you doing? Okay, so first things that I think we need to address, given that Andrew is a pro sports critic. Andrew, what did you think of the Super Bowl last night? Oh, I thought the Super Bowl was terrible. Okay, if you could give me it like... It was dull. It was dull. It was a dull I, game. And it was the lowest scoring Super Bowl in Lowest history, right? Super Bowl in history, and it was um, it was a slugfest. But but I was already kind of I wasn't going into the Super Bowl excited because of the two teams that were participating, and uh, the Rams should not have made it. Uh, I'm from Louisiana. I'm a Saints fan. Moving to Seattle, I'm also a Seahawks fan. But I've adopted the Seahawks. But I was more naturally drawn towards the Saints growing up. And the Saints should have been in the Super Bowl last night. They were not. The Rams were. And Belichick uh, took the Rams coach, uh, Sean McVay, to task. This young guy who's in his 30s. And then Belichick comes in and just, give, just uh, I'm trying to say how, how to say this nicely. He, 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 he beat him. <laughs> uh, he, he controlled everything. That was a very nice way of saying game. that. Okay, Andrew, so what are we going to be talking about today? Well, over the past couple of episodes, we've been talking about how cultivating gospel clarity is a community project, that it it takes place in the context of community and apart from community, you can't really gain or grow in your clarity of the gospel and seeing how the gospel impacts all of life. And today we're going to kind of zero in on a special aspect of community, and that is leadership within the community. Uh, How does a community that is cultivating gospel clarity, how should that community view leadership, approach leadership? Uh, What is distinctive about leadership as it relates to gospel clarity or leadership in the life of a church pursuing gospel clarity? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that one place we could start in thinking about leadership is the blessing that God gives us within his church and in giving us and providing his church with good leaders. Mm -hmm. Um, I was kind of struck by one statement that you had said in uh, your sermon a couple of weeks back, which it says, one thing you have to know about God is that he loves to bless his children. Mm -hmm. And when I was gearing up towards, you know, with us talking about leadership, uh, that's one thing that struck me was the blessing that God has given his church through Mm -hmm. providing his saints to lead other saints mm-hmm. towards himself. Yeah, that's certainly what Paul teaches in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, where he talks about how God gifts the church with the different types of leaders. And there he lists out like apostles, teachers, prophets, pastors, shepherds. He lists out various leaders. I don't have the passage in front of me, but the passage clearly uh, conveys that God gifts the church with leaders. Mm-hmm. Now, for those of... Um, for those of you who are familiar with that passage, uh, maybe a quick question, Andrew, is could you kind of give us a bit more understanding of those are distinct kind of leadership traits, if you will? Could I say that? They're, they're kind of distinctive leadership traits within a person that 
mm-hmm. helps bless their their community. Around yeah, there, I mean, there's I don't know if their traits as much as their roles. Roles, okay. Uh, because I mean, he's talking about uh, specific leaders who are leading out in accordance with a certain type of gift and a certain type of responsibility in the life of the church. Uh, so, like a pastor their disposition towards the church is going to be quite different from someone who may be prophetically gifted or uh, leading in more of a prophetic um, outlet in the life of the church. They're, they're going to have two different, they're going to have, they're going to be oriented towards the church and even within the church differently. Uh, for example, pastors, shepherds, they are, they put a high premium on relational knowledge in knowing the people, shepherding the people, loving the people, nurturing the people, listening to the people. Prophets, on the other hand, they put a high premium on uh, kind of ma- helping the church make sure that she's on track as it relates to doctrinal fidelity and biblical truth and, and where the church may be off, that those who are more prophetically wired, they're going to be sensitive to that and they are going to uh, address that in the context of the local church. This means that prophets may <laughs> speak more than they listen sometimes when it comes to interpersonal interaction. And it also means that prophets uh, have to uh, sometimes deliver messages that are harder for people to hear than more the pastorally or shepherd, uh, the, the leaders who are more gifted or more wired in a, in a pastoral or a shepherd kind of way. Um, now, would this just but be I feel within like when, an eldership, like within no, the pastoral? Within the leadership team of the church. Oh, Min- okay. I would say ministry staff consisting of... Uh, Elders and deacons, and that's partly why I struggle with with identifying it as roles. Um, I'm waffling here because uh, I, th- I want to look at that paradigm in Ephesians four and look and see it more as giftedness or wiring. Yeah. And um, because I think roles of responsibility, it's very clear elsewhere that the church should be organized with elders and deacons. Yeah. And if you are in your leadership, you're organized with elders and deacons servant leaders and lead servants, then within those teams, you start looking and nurturing and empowering leaders to operate in those, um, in, in light of those wirings or those spiritual giftedness as it relates to being apostolic or prophetic or teacher, shepherd, mm-hmm. whatever the case may be. Yeah. And so I think that's more along the lines of how I want to think about it, um, to encourage the cultivation of apostolically minded leaders in the local church because apostolically minded leaders in the local church are always looking to get the gospel out. They're looking to blaze new trails in the world for gospel advancement, for kingdom proclamation. Um, those who are pastorally or shepherd wired in that way, they, they're looking to love the church and to nurture the church. But those who are wired in an apostolic capacity and in a pastoral capacity, they, they complement each other really well. Because if you have a leadership team that just has a bunch of apostolically wired leaders, then you're going to be blazing trails and leaving a lot of carnage in your wake because people aren't being cared for. They're not going to be equipped and nurtured and shepherded. And then at the same time, if all you have are pastor shepherd types, then you're going to have a church that may be uh, nurtured and cared for, but they're not really going for anything. They're not pressing into the world to advance the gospel and to see new things started and new things uh, arise for the glory of Jesus in the world. And if you have any, if you have a lot of prophet, prophetic people, (laughs) then everybody's going to feel sad. Everybody's sad. (laughs) Convicted all the time. (laughs) Everybody's sad. They're they're not loved. Yeah. Now, would you, um, okay, so 
So let's talk about a bit about... And let, let me just say about those who may be prophetically gifted or prophetically wired. <laughs> it's um, what they do in bringing things to light and calling the church towards uh, a higher degree of faithfulness or fidelity. Um, I don't think the, the prophetically wired or prophetically gifted are thinking that they're not doing that because that they are doing that because they don't love the church. I just think they can be perceived that way by uh, disciples, by Christians, by churches, um, because people do not usually like to hear uh, where they're off or what may be hard truths. Hard truths. And so it's not that the the prophets are unloving. What they're doing, they're doing because they love God, they love the church, they love truth. Um, But it's just not perceived or interpreted that way, which is why you need a prophet to also link arms with more pastorally or shepherd, Mm -hmm. uh, those who are wired in that way, who can come come, come alongside those who may have heard a hard truth and and help them uh, grow through it. And it goes back to that same thing, is that there's a balance there. That when the when God is equipping His church and He's providing leaders in His church, um, what you can see a balance of different people. Like mm-hmm. if everybody's apostolic, like you said, it's going to be a little different. It's going to lean a little too heavy over that way. But yeah, the community won't be healthy. Yeah, it won't everyone be robust. together. Like that interdependency, uh, that representation of a variety of gifts and a variety of wirings, a variety of leadership profiles Mm -hmm. um, that's needed for a church to be, for a community that is centered on the gospel to really flourish. Otherwise, it's going to be distorted. It's going to be disjointed. It's going to have, it's going to be, you're going to have areas of growth that are uh, disproportionate to the other parts of the body. And, you know, sometimes that's called a tumor in biology. (laughs) Right. It could very well get to that, yeah. get to that kind of point. Yeah. And now let's talk about a bit about trends in the local church as it relates to leadership. And something I think both of us have found interesting is we don't see a lot of these words being floated around or being used often. Instead, we kind of have two categories that the church likes to focus on. And it's competency. Mm-hmm. How competent are you as a leader? Mm-hmm. How skilled, educated, you know? Uh, good with your words you are, or how godly you are, and how disciplined you are in um, spiritual disciplines, and how godly of a person are you. And sometimes it seems as though we've separated those two things together. Mm -hmm. Um, Could you share a little bit about both of those things, and as they relate to bringing a gospel clarity to leadership? I think this conversation is what sets leadership in the local church or in a local church apart from leadership in other areas uh, that surround us in culture or that surround us in the world. And the reason why I say that is because when you read through the scriptures, there is an emphasis on competency. Uh, Paul does tell Timothy, a young leader of a church in Ephesus, he says, I want you to fan into flame the gift that has been given to you through the laying on of hands. Uh, the idea there is that he would be cultivating a giftedness that was present, growing in his competency. But I believe most of the times leadership is discussed and talked about in the New Testament. The conversation is almost entirely revolved around character. Uh, for example, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, where Paul talks about elders, in the first, I think, 10, 11 verses of that chapter, uh, Paul's describing the qualifications of an elder. And apart from the need to be able to teach and that qualification, that requirement of all who would serve as an elder, everything else is character. Everything else is, is character related. 
And so I think in the New Testament, the accent falls more heavily upon character than it does competency, although competency is is important and it is needed. We need skilled leaders. But I'm under the conviction that we have a lot of skill in American churches. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of competencies in American churches. I'm under the conviction and I'm burdened by the fact that we are lacking in high caliber character in leadership in a lot of American churches because that's one of the ways in which our American culture has influenced the church more than the church has influenced the culture is by causing the church to think that competency should be given more attention to and should carry more weight when we're looking for leadership in a local church than a leader's character and their godliness, uh, their spiritual maturity. And I think that's an issue. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so to make sure that we're all on the same page, give us a couple of, exa- of examples of, um, of character, of godly character mm-hmm. that you would find when you would see, uh, that you would look in the church and you would say, that is a clear evidence of godly character. Mm-hmm. Well, but I, think, I think it can happen in just how leaders um, orient themselves towards one another. Um, I think leaders who have healthy interaction with other leaders uh, that's where you can see godly character really surfing, or surfing, uh, surfacing because those leaders aren't competing with one another. They're not jockeying for more power and influence. Instead, um, they are deferring influence to one another. And I think that's one of the beauties of leadership in the local church that should be recaptured is when leaders are willing to defer influence to other leaders. And we do that when we are developing more leaders and developing future leaders. When we get to the point where we're not harboring, where one leader isn't harboring all the influence in the life of a church, but they're willing to defer that influence to up and coming leaders or to leaders in process and being raised up within the church. I think that is a powerful picture of, of what, of what godly, of how godly character can serve leadership well in the church, because that's a testimony to a leader's humility. It's a testimony to, to a leader's faith because they're not believing that the kingdom rises and falls with their ex with them executing their responsibilities and, and leveraging their leadership in the church. It's, it's a testimony to their faith. It's a testimony to their humility um, just this willingness to defer influence by raising up more leaders and to see other people growing in their influence in the life of a church is a beautiful thing. So what you're saying, Andrew, is that there shouldn't be a top dog type mm-hmm. of a guy. One of the things that I was thinking about this um, a couple of months ago because I had the opportunity to go to a church that was installing elders for the first time. Uh, in their church. It was a young church plant. They wanted to affirm elders, move to a plurality of shared leadership, and they asked me to come and and deliver the message and to preach that worship service. And so, and as I was thinking about it, I was thinking about the developments in our culture. And Mark, we talked about this in our previous episodes where uh, there has been a, there, there is a hyper-individualistic kind of strain in American um, cultural life. Mm-hmm. Um, but we did, we did affirm that there seems to be a shift that people are thinking more in terms of community and communal kind of ideas um, more so than ever before, I think, today in our culture. Um, I think where you see this playing out culturally is back in the day, all the movies were about, uh, you know, John Wayne was the hero of the movies. Uh, It was one hero who would come in and he would conquer everything and he was the man that everybody looked to. He was the protagonist. Yeah. But now in our culture, we're not really... The, the most popular movies in society aren't revolved around one 
hero. Uh, they're movies that where you see many leaders, many influencers. They see many heroes. You move from John Wayne to the Avengers. Uh, and in the Avengers, you have this picture of interdependency. You have this picture of, okay, the threat to the world is far greater than one man or one hero, man or woman, could actually take on. And so the Avengers need to be assembled. Um, mm-hmm. And because that interdependency is so important to what they want to do. I think that's where our culture is, which is why I think um, the ch- churches are picking up on this and they're more prone to moving towards a plurality of leadership um, that that has moved away from this senior pastor model that says we have one pastor, he's the man, we have the right man, everything will be good, to more of a, no, we, we want multiple elders that can exercise and operate in an interdependent fashion, a complementary fashion, mm-hmm. and that that will allow the church to fulfill her mission more faithfully. Yeah, you can also see that um, within, I mean, even businesses nowadays, the, the boss is not always alone in their office by themselves, but oftentimes you'll see the, the head boss guy with in the community with the rest of the workers um, mm-hmm. sitting at a desk, kind of leading with everybody instead of leading from the top down. Right. Um, in some places. In other places, you don't see that. So, um, yeah. But I do like that idea of John Wayne and the Avengers kind of <laughs> idea. I think, that's, uh, I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, previous generations of churches, they, they had a John Wayne mentality when they would look for a pastor. They would look for the man and everything would, and usually, particularly the the tribe that I grew up with and that I was a part of, um, there would be one pastor and then a bunch of deacons. Uh, But the deacons would essentially function as elders, but they weren't held to the standard that elders are held to in the scriptures. And and that created a lot of unhealthy leadership environments. It It led to a lot of unhealthy churches. And so I think the shift from the senior pastor model surrounded by a bunch of deacons, I think that model is, um, is being put to rest with the up and coming generation of church leaders. And I think that's a good thing. I think we need to move from John Wayne to the Avengers. But while I say the Avengers, I must say the, discla- the disclaimer that when we utilize that metaphor or that image, uh, we're not making pastors and leaders heroes of the churches. We're just saying that they're, they're leading the church on mission together. The hero is always is always Jesus. Right. Yeah. Gospel clarity insists yeah, don't, that we don't say think, that. Don't ride that out all the way. Folks, okay. Every metaphor, <laughs> Every metaphor breaks down. Yeah. So to recap on what you've been what you've been talking about is gospel clarity as it relates to leadership. This leadership must have an independent uh, interdependency. Mm-hmm. Correct. I, th- I think I think if we're clear on what the gospel is and what the gospel says about the human condition, uh, we need interdependency because yeah. the gospel says no human being is a hero yeah. and no human being should be looked to, to be the hero of any situation or of any community of faith. Uh, gospel clarity says that, um, that God has not deposited every spiritual gift into one single individual. Uh, we're not John Wayne's in that regard. We are more like the Avengers. He has gifted multiple people and he's rallying multiple people to come together in collaboration and an in interdependency. Uh, to serve for his glory. Um, And so the gospel clarity does drive us towards, if we're clear on what the gospel is and what it says about the human condition, it's going to drive us towards being interdependent in the church, and it's going to drive us towards um, 
it's going to drive us towards um, being deferential in leadership because if we're going to be interdependent, we have to let people lead and we can't bottleneck leadership with one person or with one small group within the church. We have to distribute leadership as widely as necessary for that church to flourish in the gospel. Yeah. And also I would say too, the, um, when you have an interdependent leadership coming together, you would see a flourishing of that leadership through the display of the different gifts that each of those leaders have Mm -hmm. coming together for this kind of holistic picture Mm -hmm. of the church and of, uh, of church leadership. And that also kind of leads me into that interdependency. Um, there also has, you need accountability within that interdependency. Yeah. I think, and that benefits the church as well. If you have leaders that are committed to honest accountability, to guarding one another's hearts, to checking one another's hearts to make sure our hearts aren't sliding into unhealthy places as it relates to our influence or as it relates to our leadership or our roles or our giftedness or whatever the case may be, being surrounded by, by leaders who aren't just yes men uh, following the whims and wishes of, of the lead dog, but mm-hmm. um, leaders who are able to stand shoulder to shoulder uh, and speak into one another's lives in honest and edifying ways. I think that's, if character matters in leadership, I think that's that's what's going to help safeguard character among the leadership. Yeah. I think that's the chief problem in, in leadership in the, in the, in leadership in the local church. I think not only amongst leaders and how leaders are perceiving their leadership in the church, but how, um, people are perceiving leaders in the local church. We're more attracted to competency than character. Um, that's true everywhere. Uh, we're attracted to gifts. We're attracted to skills. We're attracted to eloquence. We're attracted to, uh, how a person may excel in their giftedness and in their talents and skills. And, that which, becomes which, a problem because we're willing yeah. to overlook cracks in the character for the sake of their competency. Which that's the problem, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Excelling and being competent isn't the isn't the the problem. The problem right. is when you don't have godly character right. to come along to be with it, right? Mm-hmm. To be complementing that. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's an important clarification. A keynote example of this is found in the Old Testament. Uh, I believe in the story of Samson. Stan- Samson was a man who was yeah, gifted. He was yeah. gifted by God in a tr- in some tremendous ways, <laughs> but he was a loner. He was a um, he wasn't accountable to anyone. There was no interdependency anywhere in his life. There was. Uh, he was a lone. He he was a loner, and he was gifted, but he was a man who lacked character. He was not a godly man. Samson was a bad guy, and he, as a result of being incredibly gifted, but not, but lacking in godliness, he hurt a lot of people in his story. His story is tragic in the number of people who get hurt because you have a gifted guy whose giftedness isn't anchored in a godly character, and that proves to be a problem. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's a concern of mine in leadership in the church or in the kingdom of God right now. Because when you have gifted, competent leaders who are lacking in character, they're going to be growing in influence, they're going to be shaping things, influencing things. But if, they're, but if their competency and their giftedness isn't anchored in a Christ-like character or a Christ-loving character, when things hit the fan, a lot of people are going to get hurt. Yeah. Another, a good example that 
as you were talking about Samson, that made me think of someone uh, in leadership, with, particularly within the Old Testament, is a guy like Joseph. And Joseph was, had that godly character, and he Absolutely. also had that competency, mm-hmm. and he had that, and it turned and it fueled into like a godly ambition, mm-hmm. you know, to, he could, anywhere he was going, God was blessing him, and God was putting him in positions of power and authority, and he was using it well. Right. And then when he's like ultimately tested with his brothers coming uh, in and, you know, asking for food, um, he's able to foster that leadership mm-hmm. in a wise and godly way. Yeah, that's a great example. I mean, he he doesn't take vengeance upon his brothers. He doesn't use the power that he has to hurt the people who had hurt him over the course of his life. Mm-hmm. He uses the power that he has to help his brothers and to help his people. And that's that's a remarkable picture of, of character and competency coming together in, a, in, a, in one particular leader's life. And so when I think about leadership within the local church and how gospel clarity gives shape to it and should, should inform it, um, I think we need to think differently in terms of why God gives leaders to the church. I think in American church life, the temptation is for, for an aspiring leader, let's say somebody who wants to become a pastor and be a pastor, Unfortunately, I think there's this, there's this assumption that I'm looking at my career trajectory and I'm looking at churches and serving in churches as steps along this trajectory um, so that uh, there seems to be um, in this assumption that the church exists to provide leaders with platforms to exert their influence. And so that so in a sense, churches exist for leaders. But I think gospel clarity flips the script on that. If we're really thinking well about the gospel and if we're reading the New Testament closely, churches do not exist for leaders. Leaders exist for churches. God put Joseph in that situation for the sake of his people. God puts leaders into the life of the church, not for the sake of the leaders, but for the the sake of the church that they're there to serve. That God raises up leaders and he gives leaders to churches so that they might serve the church, so that they might empower the church, equip the church. And so there's a paradigm shift that needs to happen where we, uh, where we begin to think about leadership along those lines, that the church does not exist to provide a leader with a platform for expanding influence. Leaders exist to expand the platform of the church's influence um, wherever they are located. 